The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel Podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Badri Hirier, Vice President and Director of Artificial Intelligence at Thornton Tomasetti, about the applications of AI and machine learning in the AEC industry. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle. I'm a licensed engineer at DCI Engineers, practicing on structural projects in California, with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and a master's in structural engineering from UC San Diego. And I'm your co-host, Alexis Clark. I work in Hilti's North American headquarters as the product manager of our chemical anchoring portfolio in the U.S. and Canada. I'm a licensed professional engineer in Texas, received my bachelor's in civil engineering from UT Austin, and I'm currently an MBA candidate at Auburn. Before we introduce our guests, the Structural Engineering Channel is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. Now we would like to recognize our sponsors for this episode. Firstly, SkySib. SkySib is the first and only fully cloud-based structural analysis and design software suite. With a streamlined and efficient user interface, SkySiv users are able to complete their analysis and design projects in just a fraction of the time. Using easy graphical inputs and tools, generate 3D structures for analysis, then automate their design using the integrated modules. Eliminate the black box effect with extensive hand calculation reports for steel, concrete, wood, and cold formed elements. And if you're stuck, ping the SkySiv live chat for quick help or to share your file directly with the SkySiv support team. With monthly updates released directly to the platform, SkySiv users get to dive right into the new and exciting features without any updates, downloads, or maintenance fees. Everything offered by SkySiv is included in a single monthly subscription that is cost-effective for nearly every type of structural engineer. Check out SkySiv at skysiv.com EMI for your next extended free trial today. That's skysiv.com slash E-M-I. And I'd like to recognize our other sponsor, Menard Group USA. Do you have projects where you're faced with building on soft or loose ground? Does it seem like all of the good sites are taken and you are always building on poor soils that are a challenge for conventional foundation approaches? Menard may be able to help. As a specialty ground improvement contractor, Menard works nationally and internationally providing design-build ground improvement solutions at sites with problematic soils. Menard's techniques include controlled modulus columns, wick drains, earthquake drains, fibrostone columns, dynamic compaction, rapid impact compaction, and soil mixing. Typical projects include warehouses, buildings, material storage piles, processing areas, embankments, roadways, port facilities, storage tanks, containment structures, and platforms. In many cases, ground improvement is less costly than traditional approaches, such as removal and replacement or piling systems. Menard works closely with civil, structural, and geotechnical engineers to minimize foundation costs for wide ranges of soil conditions, structure types, and loading conditions. To learn more about Menard Group USA or for help on your next project, 
please visit www.menardgroupusa.com. That's www.menardgroupusa.com. Now I'd like to introduce our guest for this episode. Dr. Badri Hirier is a Vice President and Director of Artificial Intelligence at Thornton Tomasetti. In his current position, Dr. Hirier leads to the Core.AI Research and Development Group focused on developing applications that leverage machine learning and AI to transform various workflows and processes within the AEC sector. He is also the founder and CEO of T2D2.AI, a technology startup providing cloud-based asset management that uses computer vision to detect and map deterioration and damage in structures using drone or mobile camera feeds. Prior to establishing Core.AI at Thornton Tomasetti, Dr. Hirier spent several years as a computational scientist in the company's applied sciences practice, where he developed high-performance computing software used by the Navy for computational fluid dynamic simulations. Dr. Herrier has a master's degree from John Hopkins University and a PhD from Columbia University. Now let's jump into our conversation with Badri. Audrey, welcome to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Could you tell our listeners, you know, just a little bit about your career journey, how you got to where you're at, and ultimately what you do at Thornton Tomasetti? Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. So right now, I'm a VP and Director of AI at Thornton Tomasetti. So I've been in this position for about eight years now. Going back to the beginning, I moved to this country back in 2001. I came here as a fresh graduate student at uh, Johns Hopkins University. I got my undergrad degree in civil engineering. I got my master's in 2003 and then worked for a couple of years in Chicago, uh, Midwest area, and then moved to the Bay Area. I was working in industry product uh, development, research, and testing positions. One was Clark Dietrich, which is a metal framing company, and then Simpson Strong Tie, which many of your listeners might be familiar with. They're a big manufacturer of structural connectors and so on. So back in 2008, I decided to actually go back to grad school to pursue my PhD in uh, computational mechanics because that was a strong interest of mine. I wanted to get back more deep into that subject. So I went to Columbia University. I you know, spent about three and a half years there, and I graduated in 2012. I worked with Sandia Labs during that time, uh, you know, working on high-performance computing software for fracture mechanics. And then after my graduation, I joined this company called Widelinger Associates. Widelinger merged with Thornton Thomas in 2015. So I've been with this combined firm for about eight years now. So I was applied scientist or a computational scientist, you know, developing software for the U.S. Navy on computational fluid dynamics and, and high performance computing and so on. But over the past three to four years, I've been working on machine learning and artificial intelligence applications. And so that led me to my current role as the director of AI. And some of the projects that I have led have turned into and into separate products. And then, so in my current role, I work on leading R&D efforts, especially in the AI and ML area, and bringing about these new technologies to, into applications in the AEC industry. 
So that is my full-time job. My second full-time job is actually as the founder and CEO of uh, T2D2, which I will get to hopefully uh, later during the show. I won't, of course, mention my third full-time job as the father of two uh, sweet little kids, but <laughs> that's definitely. That's really interesting. And what's really fascinating to me, you know, just to get into the bulk of this is the industry is always asking what's the future going to look like with AI and stuff? It's kind of cool that you're directly affect, like shaping it. So that's what's really cool. And that's how we, we found you. You know, we found this article in AISC magazine. I think what impressed me was, so Thornton Tomasetti's core studio developed an application called Asterix, which is basically a web-based software package that allows you to do uh, concept level, schematic design level designs on building structures. So you're using like uh, data analytics rather than engineering analysis. So it's basically AI, correct me if I'm wrong, but could you tell us something a little more about that? Because that just seems really interesting. And I know the industry is really interested in, in things like that too. There are definitely a lot of applications for AI, and I'll get to that. We can probably also talk about the definition of AI and the distinction between narrow AI and general AI. Coming back to your question about asterisk, yes, it's a great tool. So just imagine that you know you're a young engineer and you're designing a building, and uh, you come up with some member sizes, and you go to this very senior engineer and you ask her, okay, you know, based on your experience, you think this member size seems appropriate, and she'll probably tell you that, okay, you know, she's worked on engineering tall buildings for decades, maybe 20, 30 years, and she can say, oh, based on my experience, I think that member size looks good, okay, for that particular profile, but maybe over here, you know, this member size looks too light, maybe you should go back and recheck your calculations and so on. So how is she able to do that, you know, just based on years of experience? It's because she's seen so many buildings, she's designed so many beams and columns and base, she knows this from experience. The idea behind Asterisk is that we wanted to encapsulate that same experiential knowledge in a software program. And so we wanted to train a system that has seen thousands of designs and has captured, okay, what are the features, what are the parameters that lead to certain design decisions and so on. With Asterisk, you can take what you would input is basically like a very simple geometry, a massing, height, profile, and so on. Just with that input, it first goes through a geometry service, which breaks it down into you know, different base and columns and so on. And that goes to the core learn piece, which is the central brain behind uh, designing these structures. I mean, you know, when I say brain, it's actually just what it has seen before. It's just a supervised learning uh, system that has seen lots of different designs before. So you have a, you know, a beam designer, a column designer, a bay designer, and so on. So these are the various components within it. And just based on the parameters that are input, it is going to give out, okay, these are most likely the members for these profiles. Because it's an inference service, it happens very quickly. So that means that you, know, you can quickly come up with like a first order design. You know, it's not something that has gone through a you know, stability check or a strength check or a serviceability check. But you know, it's a first order design. You know, it's most likely these member sizes are appropriate for this particular design. That can also lead to computations of, okay, this is the total amount of tonnage for this building. This is the amount of embodied carbon, because that's also an important consideration these days with carbon neutrality being a strong focus in the coming decades. These are questions that you can answer at the snap of a finger instead of having to go through like a very detailed uh, design that might take hours or, or weeks. So it's a great tool for 
early stage optioneering, as, as we call it. You want to evaluate maybe three or four different designs. You can quickly come up with a massing and a design, and you can say, okay, this one, the tonnage is so much. This is the concrete tonnage. This is the embodied carbon involved. You change the parameters, you change the design, and you quickly come up with a new estimate. And so you can quickly evaluate a bunch of different you know, designs and compare them across different parameters of interest. So I think it's a great tool, a machine learning engine that is running the design service. Yeah, so important too, and especially during the early phases where the clients are always, can we do this? Can we do this? Or what if we do this? How do we optimize this? And you don't always have to keep going back and rerunning, I don't know, like an ETABS model or, or whatever. Can you just do like a quick rundown of the differences between AI and machine learning? I get confused between that too. Like, is there a difference? Can you just do a quick definition of that? In, just in terms of, uh, you know, AI in general. So how do you differentiate between AI and uh, automation? In many cases, you can automate a lot of things using computer programming. You know, what is, how is AI different if you're automating something? The only difference is that, let's say, for example, you want to go from A to E. If you write down the rules, you go from A to B. If B, then go to C. If not, go to D and then go to E. So that is a procedural rule that you write down. And if you write it down procedurally, then that's just normal automation. But if you just show a bunch of examples to a program uh, that show the program how to go, that, you know, these are the cases where you go from A to E, and the program learns all the rules, all the internal rules by itself, that I would say is artificial intelligence. Machine learning, I think, can be used interchangeably with artificial intelligence in this context. If you have a machine that is learning all of the rules, all of the internal rules to achieve a certain objective, then it's artificial intelligence. But I would also like to make the distinction between artificial general intelligence and artificial narrow intelligence or narrow AI and general AI. Because a lot of times, I think these days, especially with all this buzz about AI, people tend to conflate AI with general artificial intelligence about robots having some sort of consciousness and having their own agenda and so on. But that's very different from narrow AI. I mean, the actual technological advances that we've seen today and the various applications that we see in AI is, is all in narrow AI. So if you take the narrow functions of, let's say, visual recognition or audio recognition, natural language understanding, uh, data analytics. So these are narrow functions which can be certainly optimized or automated through AI. And this is where I think we see a lot of uh, applications. General AI is probably a few years or maybe even a few decades away. We already see a lot of potential for narrow AI in various applications. I think you gave us such a great definition. So thank you for breaking that down, Matt. Great question. Because I was like, man, you know, I know I learned about this a little bit, but it's always good to have a refresher. If any of our audience has ever watched the TV show Person of Interest, that is general AI. That is an all-knowing machine being of sorts, right? Is that kind of what we would define general AI as, Baudry? I think most of the instances that you see in popular media and in various movies and, and shows, you see basically a general AI that does a lot of different functions that can do natural language understanding, visual recognition, and that can take decisions and so on. That's still a few years away, although a lot of companies, I believe, uh, you know, many big tech companies are, are working towards that goal. But what we are dealing with is narrow AI. We're not dealing with Watson here. We're working with something very focused and with a, with a specific need. Which brings me to my next question, which you, you set me up for so nicely, which is, what are some of those most important applications of AI in structural engineering? I mentioned to you already, like, you know, within narrow AI, there are these various 
functions. So one is visual recognition, there is uh, natural language understanding, there is audio recognition, data analytics, and so on. Within structural engineering, I think take each of those applications, there are various potential applications in the structural engineering world. And in general, in the engineering and construction world, there are applications on the construction site and there are applications on the engineer's desk. On the engineer's desk, you can imagine for visual recognition, there are applications like you know being able to analyze construction drawings, various shop drawings, identifying various uh, features within those. There are any anomalies, being able to quickly identify those anomalies or you know, being able to uh, quantify trends across different quantities of interest. That's just from a drawing perspective. And then from a natural language understanding perspective, I think you can imagine various systems that can help make the engineer's job a lot easier. You should be, you know, just imagine a chatbot that you can query. You can ask a lot of these questions instead of having to go to a reference. You know, you can have a system that can understand the query and go to the specific uh, database and find the answer and come back to you. So a lot of these everyday applications you know, that has more than just consumer applications that could be specifically trained to, to serve an engineer's need. On the construction side, you have, of course, various applications. You, know, you have applications for robotics. Uh, you have applications for visual understanding that can identify, okay, is the job on track? What is the current status? It can automatically recognize if the truck that came in that contained the steel members that were going to be used. What is the level of progress of construction? If there are maybe safety conditions that are being uh, violated and so on. So there's just tons of applications on the construction side, there are applications on engineering desk side. Beyond just engineering and construction, if you think about the maintenance and the lifetime of the building, you have tons of applications over there as well. Uh, for example, T2D2, one of the tools that I mentioned before, so that involves visual recognition of uh, facade damage. For example, so over the lifetime of a building, you want to identify the deterioration or damage conditions on a facade, on a roof, or a structural member. You can do that visual recognition using a tool like T2D2. Just over the lifetime of a building, from inception all the way to the end of life of building, I think there are just tons of applications for AI. And I didn't even mention data analytics, which has you know applications across all of the whole spectrum of engineering. You've really given me a lot to think about here, and you did such a great job of breaking down all of these different facets that can affect not only you know conceptual design from cranking out calculations for beam sizing and, and all of these different small executions that we already do, as well as the impact on construction in the long run. I guess I have a couple of questions here. So you used this term earlier called optioneering, which I'm a huge fan of. I love that. We kind of get this buzz in the structural engineering industry right now about how do we put power back in the SE's hands? How do we differentiate ourselves? How do we increase scope? How do we demand higher fees? And how do we become the prime on the project? And this seems like such a great opportunity for us to be able to take power back and to demonstrate our engineering expertise using this tool to show ourselves as a greater partner in conceptual phase to the client, to the eventual owner. Do you agree with that? I certainly agree with that. If we think about AI as just transforming a certain section of the current process, that's probably a very limited view. I think uh, the use of tools like this, the use of technology can actually transform the entire process. You know, instead of an engineer being involved only after the whole architecture and the design has been finalized, you can have the engineer come in at a much earlier stage and be involved in the uh, optioneering or the conceptual design stage as well. So I think, yes, there are definitely you know, various applications 
of AI that can transform the entire process. The flip side of that coin is instead of this, you know, big industry topic right now, I want to focus, I'm going to shift really quickly to a focus of something that impacts all of us, regardless of really what industry we're in, which is being as effective as we can, as productive as we can in the office, and then getting to spend the rest of our weekdays spending time on things that we'd like to do, which is being at home with our families or spending hobbies or, or, you know, being active. And that is, you keep mentioning how so many of these processes outside of the conceptual phase, when we're actually executing different calculations and design iterations can make us much more efficient and much more effective in our work. So I'm also seeing that there's an opportunity to use these kind of tools to derive greater profit for the actual engineering firm by being able to demand the same amount of scope to do the same amount of work, but be able to get off maybe a couple of hours early, get seven hours of work done in in five hours, and then get home and, and do whatever you need to get done. Yeah, absolutely. So actually on that topic, there's actually there's a McKinsey study from maybe about five years ago. I see that in a lot of conferences, and I'm sure you've seen that graphic too, that compares the uh, level of productivity change across many industries over the past few years and decades. And there are lots of industries where they've seen like tremendous gains in productivity over the past few years, but construction was actually down at the very low end. You know, the productivity was not very good over the past maybe what 50 years that it that the chart showed. With the new technologies that are coming into the picture now, I think that is going to change. I think you can have a significant productivity increase. You know, these tools are, can help take away those hours doing mundane tasks. There are lots of repetitive tasks that can be automated and that can, you know, you can enhance the processes and give back some time to the engineers with the productivity gains. I did want to get into... T2D2, that's the Thornton Tomasetti damage detector. That seemed really interesting just from the brief time that you mentioned it. Could you go more into that? That's something that I haven't heard of before. So it'd be really great to get into that. I'm also the uh, founder and CEO of T2D2, which has started off as like innovation project within Thornton Tomasetti, but quickly because of the great potential, because of the great performance, turned into a product that could be spun off as its own startup. So now it's a startup that is part of uh, the twin accelerator. So there's an internal TT accelerator that spun it off. And right now it's a separate company. Just this morning, we had some great news because the DOB, the New York City Department of Buildings, had an innovation contest called the Hack the Building Code Innovation Contest. So they were soliciting various new ideas to transform how transform the building codes, the way with the various prescriptive regulations that are in the building codes. How do we modernize the building codes to use the newest and you know, the latest and greatest technologies? T2D2 was one of the entries. It was among the finalists, and then it was one of the winners. So we are very happy to announce that we were one of the winners of this inaugural contest. What T2D2 is, is as the name mentions, Apart from an obvious nod to George Lucas and uh, Star Wars, uh, T2D2 stands for Thornton Tomasetti Damage Detector. So it uses computer vision to automatically detect deterioration and damage conditions in facade building envelopes, facades, structures, and so on. How do we do that? So because TT has been involved in uh, renewal and forensics practices for many years, for decades, actually. So we've been inspecting various buildings, bridges, tunnels, and all of these structures. And we have a large database of images that we've collected of various types of deterioration. We've used this vast data set. We've annotated them, and we've trained advanced deep learning models. 
objects, and these are the same models that are used in you know image recognition. You know, could be for facial recognition, that could be for uh, medical diagnosis. You, you see various applications of image recognition, object detection, and computer vision these days. So we use some of the same advanced state-of-the-art computer vision models. We've trained it on our large data sets that have been annotated specific for this purpose. And we have a series of modules that task of identifying damage in structures using these models. And we've built a portal where you can actually visualize those results and we present sort of a digital twin to the client, to the end client that shows their asset, where all the conditions have been found, how they map to that structure. Especially with the use of drones, this can be like a really great technology. You can have a drone fly around a structure in a matter of a few hours instead of having to scaffold it, the building, and or have uh, you know gondolas that are dropping down. It's a lot of expense, it's a lot of time, and a lot of effort. If you have a drone that captures all of the images, then we can quickly process them, identify all of the detections, have an engineer review those detections, and present to the client like an overview of state of their facade in a matter of a few hours. That's, I think, a revolutionary technology. You know, it's a great use of computer vision in our industry to manage the process of facade inspection. And that's not just for buildings. That has applications in bridges, tunnels, nuclear reactors, endless opportunities there. Yeah, it sounds like definitely something of the future where you have a drone or kind of like those video games where it has like those, you know, you're flying across and then it'll detect like damage here, or damage there. So that's pretty much what it's doing, right? You take a picture and it'll show, it'll at least tell you based on all the data from all the subsets that you've given it before. It's like, oh, I've seen this type of damage before. This looks like it's corroding. And that's what the T2D2 will tell you. It'll basically tell you analysis of what damage that it sees or doesn't see. Instead of an engineer going through each and every picture, it'll already tell you once you take it. It's crazy. That's correct. So there are series of modules, like I said. So first it'll identify, okay, I'm looking at a brick masonry building. No, I'm looking at a stucco. I'm looking at concrete. Then depending on what material substrate it is, it's going to identify if it's a concrete building, it's, you know, you're seeing exposed rebar and corrosion. You're seeing spalling and so on. For a brick masonry building, it's going to identify these are the types of damage, open mortar joints and cracked mortar joints and so on. We have built like a sophisticated pipeline that can identify damage conditions for different types of materials. We had a conversation a few episodes back at this point. Actually, it was our uh, still bridge episode. That's who, what it was. We were talking about bridge inspections specifically. There is actually a, a huge talent drought right now in the inspection community because we have a large portion of our existing inspectors who are more tenured, we'll say, rather than older. But uh, they've been with us for a long time and they're within retirement age. And it's expected that some figure like 25 to 33% of the inspection community will retire within the next five to 10 years, that there isn't a talent pool to backfill them effectively. And using this kind of intelligence and these kind of systems could help offset the need for a human to be there. What would the amount of capital take in order to substitute a human for a structure, to inspect and watch a structure throughout its life cycle so that we can watch the damage that it may be going through? There are going to be tremendous cost savings, uh, you know, if you replace an automated system like T2D2 compared to like a manual human-based inspection. Just in terms of the amount of time involved, you could say for setting up the scaffolding, you know, the amount of time it would take to visually observe all of the conditions on a structure on a typical building, it might, might take probably two to three days. If you're allowed to fly drones, then that can be done in a matter of two hours or less. And then if you had to process each of those images, for a human, that would take 
quite a bit of time. And of course, if you're just going through a bunch of images, there's also a lot of room for error. But our computer algorithms, our computer vision models, they never get tired and uh, they never sleep. Uh, so they can process each of these images with the same amount of uh, focus in a matter of seconds. So in terms of efficiency, I think it's going to be a very dramatic increase. Of course, is the performance of the model the same as a human inspector? Not yet. I think it's going to take some time. So right now we are having you know, trained engineers and experts review the detections and make sure it marks the false positives and marks the false negatives. Eventually, the models can get so good that the amount of human oversight needed would be much less. And at that point, I think it's going to make the inspector's job quite a bit easier. Sort of having to drop down from a scaffold or drop down from a rope axis have a digital view of a building showing, okay, these are the areas that have potential damage. And maybe then, you know, I'm not saying that this will completely replace having to have a closer look and touch and feel the damage, you know, but you can quickly identify, okay, these are only the spots that I may need to go and take a closer look and probably feel, you know, touch the brick and see if, if it's okay or if there's a piece of facade that may be loose or something that's underneath that's not visual that's not identifiable from the surface. So you can quickly identify focus areas where you can direct resources instead of having to you know, just inspect a, like an entire structure, just very inefficient way of inspection. If there are engineers who think that there's an opportunity to use this kind of system, a lot of our listeners are young. So you know, do they tell their boss, hey, I heard about this. Is there an opportunity for us to use it on this specific project? Is this something we can bring to the owner to help sell or to help to make us more um, interesting as we bid for projects. How can people start to incorporate this kind of technology into their existing project work? I would definitely encourage them to bring it up with the building owner if this technology would be useful for that site. And we have plenty of resources on our website and we're available to answer any questions to identify uh, for any specific project condition if it is applicable or not. Badri, I had one more question. This is my last question. All this technology is great, right? And it's really interesting to see. But then now if you're thinking of of it from a structural engineer or an engineer, is this thing going to replace my job? I guess, how do you see the future going in terms of for maybe roles shifting instead of maybe engineers doing all of the repetitive tasks? Maybe their role can be more into maybe checking the results or how do you see this going in the future and in terms of uh, people that are afraid of like losing their jobs to AI in general? That's a great question. And uh, I think you mentioned it, uh, you know, in your question itself, I think it's not mainly about losing jobs. It's, it's mainly about how the jobs are going to change. If there are engineers who are doing a lot of repetitive tasks to get to something that they can answer quickly, I think they're going to find this to be very useful, right? So right now you should think of AI as like a calculator or like a toolkit that's in your pocket that can help you answer a lot of questions that can help you as an engineer do your work much more efficiently. I think eventually, of course, the role might shift. And it's not that with AI, with the introduction of AI, you're going to see a lot of disruptive changes right away. It's going to start happening very incrementally. If people are open-minded, if they're welcome uh, to accepting new technologies and new ways of doing their things, I think they're going to find this to be a very useful trend and a very useful development in the industry. 
over time, of course, you never know with them, you know, 20 years down the line, you, you can't say, you know, what's going to happen, but or at least in the next five years or the next 10 years, there are going to be lots of benefits to structural engineers to make their jobs a lot more easier. Badri, leave us with the final note. What's happening in the future? What new projects are you working on? What's exciting that we should be aware of? This is a great time. I mean, we're working on some fantastic new technologies. As the director of Korea, I mean, we're working on um, quite a few fascinating things, including natural language processing, data analytics, computer vision, and and so on. Recently, we had a an internal hackathon. We have those uh, every once in a while. Uh, recently, at one of the hackathons, we had prototyped a machine learning hub or a dashboard where we can host uh, AI models that have been trained and that are production ready that can serve the entire AEC industry for various applications. And this could be like a central warehouse for trained and, and uh, production-ready AI machine learning models. If, you know, if there are application developers, if there are users of machine learning who do not know how to, for example, build a model, they can come to this marketplace, to this hub, and just connect their application to the model. So this was an idea that we had internally brainstormed. Uh, recently at a hackathon, we built a small prototype and we we're working towards that. So that's one of the cool things that we're working on these days, besides many applications, besides you know, T2D2, Asterisk, and the various other projects that we're developing at, at core. Thanks so much for that, Badria. It's really interesting. That seems like a lot of projects and you actually having a, a hand in you know, developing the future and you're actually making this stuff a reality. So uh, really, thank you for sharing with us your insights and, and what you're working on. And I know I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners learned a lot. So thanks again for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you. And these are really exciting topics and I'm be happy to talk about these. Thank you for the opportunity. Before we finish up here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Aero Aggregates of North America. Aero Aggregates is the first vertically integrated manufacturer of ultra lightweight foam glass aggregate in North America. This sustainable aggregate has bulk densities that are 80 to 90% lower than traditional fill. It's free draining and non-reactive, can be used to reduce lateral loads on walls or weight on roof structures, and it can also be used around building envelopes as an insulation material. Foam glass aggregate can often accelerate construction, reduce project costs, and offer green credits for LEED and Envision programs. Visit www.aeroaggregates.com to learn about this unique construction material. That's www.aeroaggregates.com. Until next time, we wish you all the best in your structural engineering endeavors. The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.